Be the gardener, not the carpenter. This is Yoakum Strength Podcast with me, your host, Austin Yoakum, and producer Marcus Sawson behind the scenes. This quote leads us into our guest today, Dr. Craig Harrison. Dr. Craig Harrison is a leading expert on youth athlete development, and today he takes us down the journey of learning, interest, and trust. He does a phenomenal job of building out environments that are specific to the athlete themselves and gets them interested in what matters. And he believes this interest leads to learning, leads to growth, leads to exploration in the types of movements that they want to do. And he mentions multiple times during this podcast, the main thing is making sure the athlete knows why they are doing what they're doing, rather than just throwing them in a session and telling them to do something, having another adult saying what to do during their day. They really have an understanding of what they're working on, why they're working on it, and then they have a say in what they're doing. Before we hit the intro music, I wanted to introduce to you guys the Yoakum Strength Insider. The Yoakum Strength Insider is our online training platform that takes all of the ideas that we talk about on this podcast and implements them into a program that is available to you at the touch of your fingers. Our goal with the Yoakum Strength Insider is to create better movers, to level up your life, and to move forward from where you are. We do this in a holistic fashion. Not only will you receive a program that has helped hundreds of people become better movers, You'll also receive access to our app that allows you to track everything, has video links for all exercises, and allows you to be in constant communication with the Yoakum Strength Coach. Along with this, you'll get our 30-page PDF nutrition and lifestyle guidelines that includes everything from what to eat, how much of it to eat, why we're eating it, meditation habits, and other lifestyle habits that we implement with our clients to really level up their lives. If you're interested in trying out one of these programs, use Podcast 25 in the discount section right before you pay for 25% off your first program. Thank you guys for listening. Thank you guys for the continued support of this podcast. Marcus, you know what to do. Hit that intro music. Boom. This is the Yoakum Strength Podcast. Take the leap down the rabbit hole with us as we interview elite level guests to unravel what high performance really is. All right, well, Coach, welcome to the podcast. I'm excited to have you here. Uh, thanks for having me. It's going to be fun. Do you want to tell the listeners a little bit about your background, kind of where you're at now, how you got there? Uh, and I think we're going to dive into, as the listeners get to know a little bit about you, kind of your outside approach to training. But what is your kind of background in the sports performance field that's got you to where you're at today? It's a bit of a story, really. And I spend a bit of time reflecting on it because I think it's really important as a coach to to think back into where you've come from. Uh, our roots are really, really crucial uh, to understand because that, for me at least, it informs my future. Uh, and so well, I started, well, I was pretty traditionally, really. Like I I grew up loving sport, uh, was an athlete through through my school years. And then into university over here, I ran track, played soccer, football over here. You guys call it soccer in, in Northern America. Um, and then got a, got a big injury, did a hamstring, couldn't couldn't rehab it properly, or at least didn't have the advice at the time. So we do what uh, all all the best, um, not quite athletes do, and go and study it. So uh, I I did an undergrad degree. I did a straight into a master's degree. Exercise physiology was really my area at the time. And then came out of that and worked in the high performance sport system here in, in Auckland in New Zealand. 
and mainly was working in a couple of sports that I'm not sure you're familiar with, one being netball, it's our biggest women's sport over here, um, and then cricket, which is which is a sport really only played in, uh, across the Commonwealth, uh, but it's massive here in New Zealand. So that was fun uh, and did that for a while and kind of just realised that high-performance sport wasn't really my thing. Like I was seeing some massive gaps in the development of the athletes that were coming through from a physical point of view, from a psychological point of view. And and I, I was getting curious around understanding why that was happening, what we might be able to do do about it. So I, I went back to some friends in a, at a university here in Auckland, uh, AUT, Auckland University of Technology, and asked whether there might be an opportunity to do a bit of research uh, ask a few different questions and luckily fell into a PhD. So I got a scholarship to do my further studies and also run a, uh, what was at the time an LTAD program. So long-term athlete development, I was very much working with kids. So I was like, Oh, this is, this is new. This is not where I thought I was going to land, but this is an opportunity. I want to give it a crack and, and really went on this big adventure of, running a program, asking some questions around, you know, the the science of training young athletes. But the beautiful thing was I got a huge amount of autonomy around that whole process. And so I began diving into a whole bunch of rabbit holes to try and answer questions that were bugging me on the floor. Uh, and that, that gave me a, an opportunity to go much wider into some domains that I don't think I would have otherwise had the time to explore. So I looked into psychology, sociology. I looked into behavior economics. Um, and, and there's a whole bunch of other things that I got curious and around and, and started reading and started listening to podcasts and, and started then integrating that knowledge back into working with young people. Got really curious around the pedagogy of learning and uh, where I, I base a lot of what I do around how young people learn uh, and there's some really good stuff that's come through education, which a lot of the time we, we tend to neglect when it comes to sport, uh, which is interesting in and of itself. And yeah, so, so now I, so I spent 10 years running a, a program that looked at the integration of the mental and the physical development for the 10 through to 18 year old. Yeah. From that point, just really expanded into some where I am now really, which is research from a supervision point of view. So I look after a few PhD and master's students that are asking those curious questions for themselves now. I run my own coaching business uh, and that's really around mentorship and, and the physical and mental coaching of mainly individuals. And then I consult into programs um, just to help people think about the environments that they're creating for the young athletes to optimize their development through. Yeah, that's awesome. And I want to dive into kind of the long-term athletic development part of it. We've had a bunch of people, Jeremy Frisch specifically on the podcast, talking about this realm. I'm interested in what was the first kind of eye-opener for you to see, like, oh, there's a gap there that I feel like I could fix because we're seeing it now pop up all the time in the States. Uh, you, you, you see all these injuries, like a 12 year old kid has like an elbow injury. It's, it's like, what is happening here? Like, wh why are these things happening? But I feel like you were at 
the forefronts of this. You were at the forefront of, hey, guys, like maybe specializing in the sport isn't right. Maybe sending the kids on. Uh, and I'm not sure what it's like over there. Maybe you can tell me about it, but maybe like sending them on 100 travel games of the same sport to make them a college athlete when they're 10 years old maybe isn't the the best route to go about this. What was that? What was that eye opener for you that you're like, hey, man, like we have to change this. We have to do something. And then what was the approach to start to change it? Yeah. So to be honest, it, it it didn't come from my work. It came from my personal life and through having children. <laughs> so uh, I've, I've got three kids now, uh, seven, six and 18 months. And where it really all started changing for me was when my my eldest Isaac was born. And I started wanting to know about how young people learn and develop. Um, and so that coincided with my work with kids uh, from an athletic point of view. And I started seeing things uh, from in my own world at home uh, and the things we were doing on the weekend with my with my kids that started to butt heads with some of the things we were doing in practice uh, in our programs. Uh, so things like the way that kids engage with structure so that was really interesting to me. Uh, things like the way that they explore their environments and follow their curiosity was really interesting to me. Uh, the way that they they jump from one thing to the next to the next to the next and get huge diversity in their experiences uh, without necessarily doubling down on repetition. Uh, that was really interesting to me. And so I started to ask those questions and look at some of the research and and there was some really nice stuff in there that started to give me the answers that I was looking for from a skill acquisition point of view. But I, I mean, I'm really interested in movement of, of and in particular how kids acquire movement skill. Um, and that's it's an integration of psychology and physiology and biomechanics and and sociology and you can't necessarily disconnect those things because then the learning experience breaks down and at the same time we were seeing a rise in injuries we were seeing a rise in kids dropping out sort of between the ages of 11 and 14 and I know in North America those statistics are through the roof uh, they're worse than over here but we, we're following in the footsteps that's what we tend to do down here in in New Zealand is we we we've always looked to the US to be uh, where the future lies. Um, sometimes for for good, and other times not necessarily so. Uh, so uh, we we knew that we were starting to head down that path of of some problems. Uh, so what I was really you know determined to do was to to look another way before it got too bad. So you had like a real life like science experiment in your kid then that, that's awesome you just get to see them pick up on some of these skills and learning and this is something that i've been geeking out about recently too talking to all my athletes about is like our job and it's like a strength coach and sports performance coach like it almost almost doesn't work because we we should be like teachers of movement you know like teachers of skills like you, you mentioned like that that should be our goal with all of these athletes young you know, old like we should be teaching you how to learn skills we should expo be and I don't even know if teaching is the best word, but exposing you into environments that allow you to kind of learn these skills naturally. What what is kind of your approach to teaching and creating environments for them to learn some of these skills, to pick up on some of these skills, um, 
skill acquisition in this this realm because I talk a lot about the only difference between in the American football world, like a lineman and that the the power lifter is one has the skill of blocking. Like you, you all have the physical aspects and this is where American football especially is really in the rabbit hole of like strength, power, output. And it's like that one guy and it's proven wrong, wrong, wrong over and over again, but we don't, we never seem to change our output of like, maybe we should focus on teaching that guy. If we're just going to go American football, like the skills of playing football, the skills of how do we pick up and learn how to block, but what, what's kind of your approach to expose an athlete to a learning environment? I guess uh, premising this answer uh, based on what my prime objective is, is really, really important. Uh, because, you know, I'm aware of, of some s coaches that sit in an environment where outcomes are really, really important. So unless numbers are reached, then their job potentially is on the line. And, and oftentimes periods that they work with athletes are condensed. And so there's a real kind of struggle between helping a young athlete or even an older athlete to, to learn, to own uh, their experience and ultimately grow into this person that, um, you know, is going to maximize any potential that may have versus just getting them to a position where they can go and run the draft and, and make the team. And so for me, working with young people, as cliche as it sounds, <laughs> my, my objective is to create young people that understand themselves, uh, understand the environments that they're working within and have got the tools to apply um, to a particular situation to reach the goals that they want to reach. And so that ultimately starts for me with a relationship. And, and the relationship is most important because without that psychological safety, without the trust, without the rapport that I have with a young athlete, then I can't take them to the places help them to reach the places that that is really going to open up their potential, so to speak. Um, and so my philosophy is unless I start with a relationship, then I, I can't do my job to the best of my ability and help the athlete in the best possible way. So it always starts with that. And then, and then it's like, well, where does learning come from and what are the key components of learning that provide this really nutritious soil for everything else to flourish from? And, you know, one example of that is I've got to create a positive feeling in the moment, right? So this idea of interest, so curiosity is fostered out of being interested in something. I'm only going to go and do more or go beyond you know, my current means if I'm really interested in what it is that I'm doing. And I and I see that in my in my kids now, right? Like they're currently exploring the, you know, our backyard with all of these little lizards, these little skinks that we have. And um they spend hours and hours and hours just interacting with these little insects uh because right at the moment that's what they're interested in. And so there's no need I don't have to coach it. Like I just have to ask a good question now and again, and, and they're off. They're onto their own, their their next adventure. And so I've taken those learnings. Like, how can I create that inside the athletic environment? How can I create interest, which then fosters curiosity, with which then fosters an intent and and motivation follows soon after that. Um, 
And then, and then the content becomes much easier because I'm not having to facilitate the learning. The learning kind of happens, and then then I I punctuate the learning with a whole bunch of different content. Um, so that that's really the f- philosophy that I take with the intention of growing the individual as opposed to getting the athlete faster. The, the getting the athlete faster is just a part of the process, if that makes sense. Yeah, there's so many cool points there that I, I relate to pretty clearly. Uh, I just had this, uh, we had a football guy, we were doing uh, for Tuesdays, our big like gymnastics day, we're kind of experimenting, uh, kind of movement of the day, see, see what see what it is that day. Some days, like you said, it's the interest. It's kind of, it is, it's like, what are they interested in doing? And he brought out the, pa- uh, like a jump pad and jumped off it and did kind of a roll. And he's like, I think I can do a front flip. And he'd never done one before. And he just ran off the pad, did a front flip, kind of like fell off of it. He's like, I got this. And for the next 20, 25 minutes, and I, we were recording the session. He did 52, 52 attempts at a front flip, something he's never done. He was falling, eating, running at it as full speed, jumping, but like 52 attempts. And that, that really opened up my eyes. I was like, man, like if I were to program, let's say like five sets of 10 jumps or whatever, like just straight in the row, five sets of 10, even if it is just rolls, like if I program, program that to him, rather than getting him interested in it, rather than him, like wanting to do that, he would have, he would have been bored out of his mind. He would have complained about it and not even like in a bad sense, but it would have been like, Oh, I don't really want to do the, nobody wants to do five sets of 10 jumps, but you just, kind of create the environment or give them the options to do that. And then you get to see unbelievable things. Is it 22 year old athlete giving me 52 max effort jumps, max effort rolls without me having to say a word. And I'm like, wow, that's super cool. So what is your kind of approach to, cause I've been thinking about this myself. Like how do you create that interest? How do you spark that interest? Is it setting something up for the day and being like, Hey, try this and then see where it grows from. Or what's kind of your approach to sparking that interest for the day? Usually like it always comes out of the sport, right? So I think for me, one of the frustrations that I had or or that we, we found working with young people was uh, they are less capable cognitively because of the stage of the development they're at is to take an abstract idea and stick with it because it's important to something that is important, you know, over in another domain. So to give you an example, we would have an athlete come in that might play football or might play um, basketball, for example. And the the abstract nature of getting in a gym and lifting weights, um, which for us that have grown up in the, in the gym environment is not, is, is nothing abstract at all. But for someone that hasn't, experience that environment that like that's a it's a kind of a weird place to be and helping them to understand that moving their body in a way with some resistance is going to improve their basketball performance Why, while we think that that makes perfect sense i learned very quickly that that's not how the young athlete thinks <laughs> and so what we needed to do was we needed to contextualize the learning in the gym back into the sport environment. And the best way you can do that is you need to bring the ball to the gym or you need to take the gym to the court um, so they can experience it, create the environment, show them, make them feel, smell, see what it is um, to use some jumping 
and apply it straight to the layup or apply it straight to the dunk or the three-point shot or whatever the case may be. So what we did, we, we created a structure that always started in the sport. So we would do things, and it's what I do now with my young people, is um, if they're a footballer, then we will either talk or act in a football way, and then we'll write, we will identify an area of the game that they want to work on and it's literally that easy. Like, how did the game go on the weekend? Uh, this went really well. I struggled with this. What do you want to work on? Uh, I want to work on my jump. Okay, cool. Um, and then we go and do some jumping. Tell me how that feels. Uh, what is it that you can change to jump higher? Okay. And then, and then you can create some context to go, right, uh, so, you know, those glute muscles that you've got there and, uh, you know, some of that hip flexion extension stuff. Know, if we can optimize the way that your body works, then it's going to help you to jump higher. Oh, right. Yeah, that makes sense. And so then you can take that abstract idea and start to work on it in the session, and then you build it back up, give them the ball, give them an opportunity to go back out and jump so that they can feel that transfer. And so that became the structure of the session was don't just do the stuff in the gym make sure that you're always integrating it back into the sport. Yeah. And that's something that's pretty simple, but it, it's also very like complex. It's simple in the sense of like, when you say that, it's like, okay, yeah, that makes sense. Like we should probably relate it to what matters, but then you take a look at most strength conditioning sectors and it's, we're going to usher all of you like cattle into this weight room. We're going to force you to be here for an hour and then we're going to crush you with a bunch of weights. Yeah. And I, I guess that's the, that's the environment that I rebel against, specifically because I work with kids uh, and environment is everything, right? Like there's a narrative attached to a gym uh, that I don't necessarily think is a good thing when it comes to the young athlete or the young person, right? So um, we have to be very careful on some of these narratives that we just assume young people need to pick up where in actual fact that narrative of going in there and complying to a to a particular way of doing things is not necessarily the, the best for their development so understanding how an environment affects a young person based on who they are what they want um you know their particular dna is, is important when it comes to working with young athletes yeah. And I, I don't even think I would expand it past young athletes too. Cause I think one of, one of the things that I mentioned all the time is like, I think it's really bad for strength coaches at yourself because it's, you spend all day working in this boxed like weight room with racks and pretty machines. And if all you see all day is a squat, all you see all day is a bench, maybe you do some rows. Like if that's all you see all day, like, what are you going to value? If, if you're taking a step out to go either yourself, go on the field and start to see one of the cool things we play um, slow pitch softball here in uh, Minnesota. And one of the cool things is I, I was playing that and I was like, is any of my program helping me with this? Like there's a 45 year old dude smoking a cigarette that's better at this sport than me. Athletically output wise, like whatever, like I have all of the one ups. I should be way better. And and you get onto the actual field where all of this matters and it doesn't like the, 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 the squat doesn't matter. That movement that we talk about over and over and we argue about sets and reps, like that really doesn't matter. So what, what matters? And that's where I think getting the strength coaches even out of that box to show them, like, I think it would be phenomenal for them to 
work out with you and you get them on the field and be like, all right, okay, this is where they had a bad game. This is where we can work with them rather than, all right, they had a bad game. Let's, let's squat them maybe. Yeah. I think it's, uh, I think it's fun too, to, to be a part of the experience that you're, you're trying to optimize for too. Uh, Cause when you can, when you talk in the language and, and you understand the game and, and you understand how the skill of the game can be, uh, you know, improved by some underpinning physiology. Like I'm not, I'm not against capacity. Like I'm not against creating strength and speed and robustness because there's the, there's a definite place for that. Um, but it, but it's really important to contextualize it um, in in the within the sport and also for a particular athlete. So what is it that they need? Do they do they need this this more of the skill approach, um, or do they just need to build some capacity? And it's it's that nuance that's really really important, uh, and we need to be talking more about that. There needs to be a better integration with the skill and the capacity in mind, as opposed to and as long as that conversation is being had and and the athlete understands that conversation, then I think you can still. Pull pull the service provision apart and say, well, we're going to do some capacity work now, and you and you're in the gym, and we're going to squat. Um, but that transfer onto the field needs to be happening as well, and the athlete needs to perceive that transfer to be happening, so that you can increase their understanding and their interest in the gym when when they go in there to do the work. Yeah. And like you mentioned, it, it's all about, I, I talk about a little bit like the law of diminishing returns. And I think you see it in a little bit of American football too, way more than maybe other sports. Cause I would talked about before how we work with, we have a couple high school, high school basketball players. And that's where it's, I look at them and their skill of basketball is actually pretty high. Like they, they have a good skill set in basketball itself, but their, their outputs would be a little bit lower. And that's where you're looking at that individual athlete. And then, like you said, like, have that conversation with them where it's like, all right, maybe we're going to look work a little bit more output based, maybe a little bit more foundational and quotation based with them to whereas you have that American athlete that can squat 500 pounds, but can't get into a sprint position or can't be on his hands for more than 10 seconds in a bear crawl position without it hurting. And, and then maybe work in the skill aspect a little bit more with that high output athlete. Yeah, I think so. And, and the skill acquisition literature that, you know, we spend a bit of time looking into and and hopefully adding to with a few projects that we're we're doing over here at the minute. Um, you know, that's a really interesting place to go for for the strength coach because it helps you understand how skill is acquired and not only acquired, but then how that skill is used in the context of the game. And and when you look into some of that literature and how how the adaptability to solve a particular movement problem requires a particular approach um, where there is variability, where there is uh, the coupling of the perception and the action. Um, so this, this is some some pretty pretty uh, some nice literature that's that's been shown over and over again that if you take the perception away and just do the action, then you're not going to get as great an impact. Or, or outcome is if you have that perception there. And so by, by perception, I mean that when an athlete is jumping, say, on a basketball court, 
then that jump is going to be affected by what they see and experience in the moment. Um, and so that's the transferability that we want. If we want an athlete to be able to apply the force that they've developed by lifting weights in the gym, then we need to help them to do that in a, in a much more um, specific way on court. And that they will do that with a ball when they're playing, but sometimes to optimize that movement, we need to be a little bit more purposeful. We need to constrain the environment a little bit more to move them in a direction of being better. Um, and so it's not really just a like an anecdotal approach. There is some real solid literature when it comes to applying what we do to to the sporting context. And that, that's something we do with our American football guys, where we talk about the constraints-led approach, trying to break down some of these things, trying to expose them to more. If it's 1v1, they don't get a ton of 1v1 on the field, or maybe they, they're not getting a ton of zone coverage on the field, and trying to expose them to understand these situations. This is with the collegiate athlete. Are you doing the same thing with your, your younger athletes, where it's, it's as specific as applying them to that sport, seeing where they struggle in the sport itself, and then going from there? Or do you keep it more general or what's your approach with the younger athlete in that sense yeah i I like going specific with some of those problems because it really heightens engagement uh so if they're struggling with a particular skill on the ground um, so for example i went with a football football player uh, he's goalkeeper and he was having particular issues overhead um, towards the top corners of the goal. Like that that was the area that he was being found out. And he knew it. Like when he was talking about reflecting on a game, you know, he would often talk to that particular area of his keeping as problematic. And so when you can take that pain point, that problem, and then you can start contextualizing his training environment, even though he's only 14 years of age, he just gets it, right? And you can progress the learning pretty quickly. And, and I'm a fan of taking the micro and, and learning in the micro type of environment and then expanding that out to the macro, right? So if I can keep them highly engaged in just learning about that particular skill and the physiological components that underpin it and the skill that is required to do it well, if I can get them to understand that, then, then that's going to then transfer into the next problem and the next problem and the next problem. And so you, you grow a learner um, and you grow someone who can apply a particular way of change to, to the next situation, the next situation, the next situation. Um, so focusing in on the interest and going quite deep into the specific nature of that, I think is, is crucial when it comes to helping a young person learn growing the learner that that that's something that i, I absolutely love because it you it is a snowball effect that that's something that why i really enjoy that and i think i maybe maybe take a little bit different approach in a sense of maybe it's not as specific but it's doing gymnastics with a football guy one of the cool things that i found is somebody teaching somebody how to do something as simple as a cartwheel when they get I call it like a piece of candy. They get the piece of candy of learning how to do the cartwheel. And then it cascades the rest of it of, all right, what else can I learn? What else can I do? What, what, what's kind of that next, the next thing that I can reach for. And that's where we really, I have found, I've really got them engaged to, all right, how can we, we're learning all these other movements. What can we learn on the field? How, how can we do that? So I, I really love the, the aspect of creating a learner. 
Yeah. I think the idea of novelty can can just be something that you can take and use really effectively. And and the reason that novelty is so important is because it kind of creates this emotion of surprise, um, which is one of the key emotions to foster interest and curiosity around something. And so novelty is a great way of doing it. If you can inject or punctuate your sessions with novelty, that kind of re-injects this energy and aliveness to the session that goes, oh, I don't know what's coming next. And when, it, when I ask my athletes what they like most about the sessions, they're like, I love the fact that I'm not sure what you're going to give me. Um, and the, the reason that I think that has become such a thing is because so many of the other environments that they hang out in are so tightly controlled and structured, yet, you know, humans are these social creatures like we, we're curious by nature and so all you have to do is give someone a sniff of something a little bit different and they just jump on it right um and and so it's i use novelty as this tool to re-engage the learner and then and then we go then we might go back down the rabbit hole of something much more abstract or specific or you know like that's when we might do some glute med strengthening because I know that that's going to help them. <laughs> but I've prefaced, I've prefaced that with something exciting and surprising and a little bit different so that the session just doesn't become this kind of hour of boredom um, or an hour of just another adult telling me what to do. That's phenomenal. That's uh, I can't tell you. I'd love to hear that from you because I can't tell you how many times I've been told the same exact thing from every athlete. It's like, that's uh, the, the only reason I they'll joke about it. The only reason I keep coming back is because I, I don't know what's, what you're going to hit me with today. And the, the other thing, I, this is something I've been working on because that's that's where I'm struggling with is like, am I being novel to be novel or is, it, is there a purpose? But like you mentioned, getting that buy-in from them, getting that engagement from them. So then the next thing that you try to do where you're going to get a little bit more specific, they're engaged now. So now you have to do the, the boring stuff. You have to do maybe some of the isometrics, maybe some of the ankle work. Now, now they're engaged in that. It's not just, oh, I just had to do this and now I have to do this. And like you said, like their whole day is set already. They sit in a classroom all day. They have their parents. They like they have their other sport coaches that literally every single second of the day is them being told what to do. And then we wonder why they sit on their phones because it's the one time they have control of their life. And you let them come to an hour session where it's like, you have some autonomy here. You have, you have some control of what we're going to do. It's, it's it's not just me rigidly like Tuesdays are squats, Mondays are this, like, you know, what's going to happen. It, and then, like you said, once they get the sniff of that, they get the taste of that. It's so cool to see where they take that and run with it. And some of the craziest and like best drills or games or sessions that we've had are completely athlete. Like they came up with something way better than I could have ever thought of in the first place. And they just took it and went with it. Yeah. That's the beauty of, providing the the environment right it's it's the beauty of i don't know if you've heard the analogy be a gardener and not a carpenter and i love it because you know the gardener creates this nutritious soil where everything is there for the flowers or the vegetables to flourish the carpenter has has a very specific outcome and remains you know or, or has tight control over what goes into the process in order to achieve that outcome now i guess the the caveat to that is you have to be comfortable with the unknown 
you have to be comfortable with the athlete ending in a place that you, you you're not quite sure what it's going to look like right in in the garden not quite sure how big the tomatoes are going to grow or whether they're going to grow at all right um but if you create the right soil then then the tomato has got its best opportunity to grow in a way that it wants to grow and it's going to have a hell of a lot of fun you know doing the growing <laughs> um and and that's what that's what it's about for me is they have to turn up and they have to be excited and they have and they have to go home and be excited so that tomorrow when they when they have to come back and do the work they're they're willing and ready right um because practice one of my principles is practice follows play right and so that's and that's quite it went to drink it's a general philosophy that i use in my sessions and and in my environments that i create for learning is if you want someone to train hard for you if you want them to do the work which they all have to do if they want to make it then start with play right like give them an opportunity to explore to discover to be surprised to take an interest in something and then they're much more likely to double down on the work well even the work aspect too is something like it, it yes it, it is work but how can you get that work done in a i should say playful or creative manner uh trying to find this is something that i've talked about a lot is trying to find a way to load something like maybe it is the glute mead maybe it is the ankle in something that is just a tiny bit of creative matter um giving them uh something like a single leg or a squat variation you just tell them every squat has to be a different pattern the the amount of reps and creativity that goes into that now which is is the work part of it and we're getting a ton of output there but then again they're they're, they're bought into it and it's not again I'm under the assumption like it doesn't have to be frames under the sense of yes you are getting a ton of work done but that doesn't mean it has to suck like you, you don't have you should not have to hate any of that no I mean it's all about perception isn't it right and uh I grew up loving the hard work when I used to train like that was that was the reason that I that I went was because the grind was interesting to me and the best athletes do like they they enjoy doing the work um and so our job is to make sure like you say the work is interesting yeah and they, they don't have to like you said I, I think I was very similar of but I I almost enjoyed the work because the monotonous work because the coach rewarded me for enjoying the monotonous work you know I feel like if the coach had rewarded me doing something that probably would have applied a little bit more. I, I wrote about this for um, Joel on Just Fly, talking to him about how, like, every time I stepped on the field, I know I squatted more. I know I deadlifted more than the person next to me. Yet they spent more time on the field. Uh, even though it wasn't rewarded in our program, they weren't rewarded as a workhouse, but they saw the game way slower. They, they were able to do things with their body that I wasn't able to do. That was really the first eye opener. It's like, I was, I, I love being the workhorse. Uh, but that was only because I was rewarded for being the workhorse. I was rewarded for squatting a bunch of weight on Tuesday. But did that lead to results on Saturday when we play the game? Exactly right. Yeah, the, the work has to, has to pay off. <laughs> you want to be doing the right type of work, don't you? For sure. Yeah, 100%. I'm, I'm interested then in applying this. I, I, you, you had a post about the tire popping, which I thought was cool. You, the way you drew the the real life event to the kind of sports performance world. That was pretty good. I like that writing approach, but 
how you take that now, because some of the things that you mentioned, you, you mentioned shoulder specifically, and some of the climbing, rolling and crawling aspects of it, where it is, you talked about how you like getting specific, but that to me seems in the general category of like evolutionary based movement. How are you approaching adding in stuff like that to your programs with your athletes uh, to where you're trying? Is it still the conversation based? Hey, this is going to be good for your shoulder long term. What's kind of the approach to add some of these things in? And why do you think it's so important to add some of these things in? Yeah. So by specific, I was referring to the context that I was creating in order to generate the interest from the athlete, right? So if I want, if I want a, a, this young goalkeeper that I mentioned to hang more or to climb more, then somehow I have to help him to come to the real, realization that that's worth doing. And at the moment, his context that he comes to see me is goalkeeping, um, amongst a few other things. He's not, he's not a, 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 he isn't specialized into football yet. He does a few other things. Uh, and, but, but football is his passion at the moment. And so, so I, when I mentioned being specific, I'm like the context of the conversation in order to generate the interest in developing his shoulder abilities and strength comes out of a specific moment of a game, right? Um, and once we've done that, then, then I will go back to, uh, you know, some more fundamental ways in, of developing the shoulder in a way that, you know, we've, we've seen to be effective. So, and that is, you know, as, as I've developed my philosophy over time and I've had some, some mentors that have had a big influence the way that I see movement uh, and, and the things that I spend more time on now. And I know you've had a couple of those guys on your show uh, in the past, but, but yeah, so that's, that's where I will then go back to using something much more global in order to, develop the type of capacities or the, the types of skills that that I'm hoping the athlete will will gain over time. And, and you've mentioned multiple times creating these environments, creating, making sure it makes sense to the athlete. But how do you personally, because this is a question I get a bunch, how do you personally go about creating some of the environments that you create, creating some of the exercises that you create? How do you go about being creative in the world of sports performance where it, there's a lot of basicness a lot of non-creativity like creativity is not rewarded in the the field and some of the stuff that you do is is really really cool and it's like wow that's a phenomenal way to load in that pattern how did how did you even think about that like how are you coming up with some of these methods so creativity i think is a skill uh but it's not even my opinion it's 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 evidenced to to show that you can become more creative you can become more creative if that's something that you decide you want to be. And, and so that was really important because through our, uh, through our environments that, that, that I spent time in, um, come to realize that movement problems are a great way to position learning environments. So I want to pose a movement problem and I want to watch that young athlete go through iteration after iteration after iteration to try and solve that. Um, without me having to instruct or to coach explicitly too much, because again, this was based off some skill acquisition skill acquisition research that shows if you know the body will self organize if you provide the right problem. Um, and so, what I started doing was tr playing. <laughs> um, uh, we would spend hours uh, just trying things. 
So we would have a goal in mind, right? So if we wanted, I don't know, if we wanted to generate triple extension, um, for example, then we would look at how many different ways that can we do that without coaching it explicitly? How many different problems can we create that will, you know, help us a young athlete to self-organize in a way that a triple extension looks pretty good? Same with axle rotation. How, how can we create a number of different problems that will require a young athlete to self-organize that's going to create disassociation between thoracic, the thoracic spine and the hips? Um, so that's what we started doing. We just threw a whole bunch of stuff on the on the ground and started playing. And eventually I, I came up with some stuff that seemed to work. Yeah, that's awesome. I love, love the you just set up with the global goal. And that that's where I talk about like the cool thing. And maybe I, I'm sure you've experienced this too, is like you you have the global goal. You you have your drill or exercise to accomplish that goal. Like, all right, this is gonna be awesome. I'm gonna I'm gonna create triple extension this way. And then you get there and it kind of sucks a little bit. Like maybe yeah. it wasn't, wasn't the best way, but then the athlete figures out, hey, it would be better if we went away and in this way. It would be cooler. Or I would feel it better if we went this way. And that's where you really start to see the snowball of that creativity. And it's like you said, like you, that's the cool thing with the athletes too, is you can see it. Like the, once you start to exercise that creative muscle in them, like day one and trust, it comes back to trust, like way back to what you mentioned originally, that the communication aspect with that athlete, because if they're scared to fail, they're scared to look silly in your sessions. American football is really bad where it's like the ego, like you always have to look like the tough guy. And once you eliminate and kind of drop those barriers and you, you open up an environment where they're able to fail and they're able to put out these ideas and you get to see their creative muscles start to work and like, from session one to like one month in the, the stuff they're coming up with. It's like, wow, you're almost better at this than I am like coming up with some of these things. And it's, it's really, really cool to see that snowball effect. Yeah. One, one of the things that worked really well with me was creating a common language around this idea of movement variability. So that, that idea was what it was, was something that I was trying to, install in, in the way that we went about our work. Um, and what I did with that was very simply was help the athlete understand why creating range, um, creating a movement library would be really, really effective to them, right? So how many different ways can we move? And once I, once I help them to understand why that is important, then we, we could always go back to that. So if we were doing something that they thought was just completely ridiculous, <laughs> then I would ask them the question, how is this helpful? And, and these young guys would simply answer by saying, I'm putting it in my library, right? And all of a sudden, like we learn through referencing current knowledge. So if we've established this idea that movement variability is important because of X, Y, and Z, and we, we represent that through the movement library, then all you need to do is draw them back to that idea and it makes sense. So, you know, doing some sort of crazy roll maneuver um, with some rotation and they look at me going, man, I feel like an absolute idiot doing this stuff. And I, all I, I simply have to ask, well, you know, why would I, why would I ask you to try and solve this problem? Uh, you know, it's putting it in my movement library. Yeah, I don't even need to ask why is that important because they already know. Um, so creating those, you know, 
pillars of understanding for the young athlete works really, really well. What is your method for getting that buy-in rather than you just telling them, hey, this is important for your movement library and them shaking it off? Are you showing them videos or clips or situations of an athlete that has a phenomenal movement library and be, hey, look at all the ways he's doing this? Like, What is the way that you are getting them to buy in and accept the fact that that movement library would be nice for them to have? <laughs> well, no, nah, not really. Like, we, I didn't do a lot of using elite athletes. Um, the way that the way that it has worked for me is one I may I do things with them. So I think, and this may be a, a, a misconception on my behalf, but as an adult, like if I engage with a young athlete. And, and I could do things that they look at and they can't do, um, then they're much more willing to give it a crack, right? Like, if I, and if I make a fool of myself, then they're much more willing to engage in that process. And so that would be the first thing is I've, I've tried to frame my actions as like, what would a, what would an eight year old do in this situation? You know, I think seven and eight is kind of the best age where, that you're yet to develop this sense of um, uh, comparison with others. Like you're not so worried about what everybody else thinks, but as an eight-year-old, you've, you've kind of got to the point where you you kind of know what you're good at and you're, you're prepared to put it out there. So, you know, if I can maintain that narrative in my head, oh, I'm an eight-year-old and I'm just going to act like one, <laughs> then maybe that's going to, that's going to help um, the athlete. So, it, it doesn't, and, and the trust thing, right? Like it's important that they know that I give a shit about who they are and and why they're there and whether or not school went well that day and whether or not, you know, that whatever they've got planned on the weekend is um, with their mates is, is going to go well. So I spend a lot of time asking them, just as a friend would ask another friend, how, how are you? Like, what's going on? What are we having for dinner tonight? You know, what's your mum cooking me? We're going to come around after our session and hang out. And that's just normal human stuff that makes a big difference. But, but, you know, unfortunately a lot of coaches just neglect. 100%. And that's where it's uh, anecdotally, I want to give you something because you said, I don't know if this is misconception or not, but uh, I went through the full journey of, so when I graduated uh, my senior year of college, I could barely like touch net of a basketball hoop. And I went through the whole journey of like teaching myself how to dunk. And then now I've been on the journey of teaching myself how to do some gymnastic movements. But every single time I'm able to do something, uh, so like dunking for the first time, the entire football team that I train, like they all go crazy of like, oh, he can do that. Now I can do that. And now you have like, way more guys and just they, they have the athletic potential so it doesn't take them that long to learn how to do it but now you have way more guys like all right he's not going to do something that i can't do so then they teach themselves how to do that movement and that's where it's i i love that like you told 100 as soon as they see an older person do something like all right i can do that get a little bit of it like installing the belief factor in them like once they see it it's like all right that's over. it's frustrating on my part because it takes me like six months to learn something and then uh, they'll do it in yeah. three weeks but it's yeah it's 100% on the same page there. We can uh, trans transfer kind of rapid fire rounds um, and kind of the the core questions of the podcast that I finished with. And the first one is, 
some of your favorite your favorite book or books that you think the listeners can get a lot out of? One of the one of the books that really resonated with me that I've I've read recently was called Start with Joy, and the late the author's name is Katie Cunningham, and she 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 was on my podcast, uh, the Athlete Development Show, episode ninety, I think um, she is, and I stumbled upon her work when I was researching the idea of joy, like start with joy for me is what it's all about. Um, and, and so she just, she pulled all of this literature together based on how, how she could help young people engage in literacy. So it was, it's not even in the sporting domain. And she had seven pillars of, of what it means to create a, an environment to foster joy. And that for me was really, really cool. Like it started, it pulled, I pulled a lot of ideas together that I, I knew were were true, but kind of put it in a in a slightly different perspective that I that I really enjoyed. So anyone that's interested in in the idea of joy and where it comes from, and that I mean that filters into learning and um, skill acquisition and all these other things really nicely. Um, should check it out because it's pretty cool. Yeah, I love asking that question and then getting a book that we have never I've I've never heard of before. That's that's always my favorite. You'd be able to add it. It's not not a normal book. All right, next question: Who's a guest that we you think we should have on the podcast that can kind of take us down some of these rabbit holes that we've talked about today? <laughs> oh man, uh, I mean, my head goes straight to the podcasts that I've had the pleasure of of doing, and and some of my guests and who I've really had a lot of fun, and most of them are. Most of them aren't really big names or or anyone that's kind of headlining their particular industry. Uh, so there's a guy, there's a guy in New Zealand, um, Chris Bullen. Um, you know, like for me, he, he changed the game a little bit when I spoke to him. Like I'm not sure he'll he'll resonate for your audience, but but he was really of interest to me. Um, who else would I? I highly recommend when it comes to some of this stuff. Um, yeah, no. What I do is I'd, I'd recommend your listeners check out uh, some of the episodes on on my podcast and filter filter through and see whether anyone resonates for them because I think it um it, there's a wider range of people on there and and I'm sure there'll be there'll be people there that that will be of value to your listeners. For sure. What what can I ask you? Why uh, Chris would resonate not so much with our with our audience? Is there a reason? <laughs> yeah, I just I'm not sure whether. So he's he's a coaching. He's a guy over here. He's actually just retired. Um, been in the coaching education business for ages with High Performance New Zealand for a long time. And what I loved about him was his ability to ask the right questions. And for me, that's something that I want to continue to evolve my my ability to do is is to look from above understand a whole bunch of the moving pieces and then ask a question that you know is spot on for for whoever it is that i'm trying to help um and and he was really really good at that uh and so and and he wasn't like he isn't in the strength conditioning game at all um excuse me i uh, you can sneeze. You can edit that out. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, he he just he's just a really interesting thinker, uh, and and takes took some of the questions that I asked him and just flipped them on the head. So I, I look for those types of people. So he spoke he spoke with wisdom as opposed with knowledge, 
And that was really interesting to me. Yeah. That, that's always the best thing on the podcast where you get somebody on the podcast. Like, I've, I've had a couple on the podcast where you, you're talking to them and you're like, oh my God, this, this is different. Like, this is a different conversation. Yeah. There's a guy, uh, Adam Price. He's, a, he's in the US, actually. He's a psychiatrist. And he, he's written a book called He's Not Lazy. And it's about the teenage boy um, who gets pigeonholed as being lazy. But in actual fact, it's just motivation that's gone wrong based on the environments that they've spent time in. And so he was really cool. Like, I loved that conversation and I loved his book. He sent me a copy of his book, which was super generous. Um, yeah, so his, his, his Dr. Adam Price. And uh, he was really interesting too. Awesome. Well, last question of the podcast before we finish up here, and this is when all the coaching and all the podcast stuff is over. What do you kind of want your legacy to be? Yeah, I'm not so interested in legacy, to be honest. Um, like I, I'm, I'm just trying to build a life full of moments, and and that for me is about well, right at the moment there is something that's, you know, I've got an itch and I'm trying to scratch it, and so. I used to be a long-term thinker and I used to be really interested in, in doing something now that's going to pay off in the, in, in the long-term future. And that was not just around me as, a, as an individual, but it was also me in my professional career. I looked at the long-term athlete development. And now for me, it's just about tomorrow. And it's just about, well, what do I need to do today in order to make tomorrow better? And if I can do that every day, then... Who knows? Like, and and I like I'm I'm interested in in pivoting if I need to pivot. And so, at the moment, I'm not building a legacy in a particular domain. I'm just, I I guess if anything, I, I'm interested in following following the most important questions and trying to come up with interesting solutions. And if that results in you know a legacy, then that's all well and good. If it doesn't, then I'm quite happy for it not to be either so that's that's where my my thinking is when it comes to that question no that, that that's an awesome answer because i believe i believe like deep down and listening to all the successful people i've had on the podcast that that's kind of the only way to have or create a legacy in the long run it's not i'm gonna do this and like like just put that out there it's it's the the day by day kind of moments like you said like building out those moments and that eventually will lead you, you won't even realize you've created it and then by the end of it it's there yeah for sure and and for me i need to live in the moment like that's important it's important to everyone uh but but i've learned that that i need to be in the moment so I'm, I'm much better at what i do when i'm in the moment just concentrating on doing that and doing a great job and then everything else will look after itself well, awesome, Coach. Thanks for being in the moment with me on this podcast. Thank you for taking the time out of your day to do this. No worries, mate. It's been a pleasure. Uh, thanks, for, thanks for having me on. Kia ora. Thank you guys for listening. Keep chopping wood. Thank you for listening. Join us next week as we dive down another rabbit hole. If you enjoyed the show, don't forget to like, subscribe, and leave a five-star rating. Follow us on Instagram at Austin Yoakum to stay updated on future podcast guests. Keep chopping wood.